Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon, I'm Chua Tian Tian with your Market View. Today, we're going to keep you up to date with the latest developments in the US and European markets and also give you a quick heads up on what to look up for in the new trading week. Now, this, of course, will include a deep dive into the latest consumer price index data coming out of the US and the market reaction thus far. We'll also be looking at how geopolitical tensions have weighed on markets in the two regions. And for more, I'm joined by Silvia Dalangelo, Senior Economist at Federated Hermes Limited, who's on the line right now. Hi, Silvia. Good morning from London. Hi. Uh, thanks for joining us all the way from London, Silvia. Good morning to you as well. Silvia, data coming out of the US, in particular uh, July's Consumer Price Index, Producer Price Index, they seem to suggest that inflation in the US have peaked. But at Fed officials, they indicated that more periods of slower CPI growth is needed before we successfully tame inflation. What do you think? Uh, so US inflation data for July were clearly encouraging, suggesting mm. that headline inflation might have indeed peaked in June. Uh, also, the cooling well, was mainly driven by energy prices at this stage, but some core categories were also moderated. Mm. Uh, that said, the Fed is not out of the wood. Inflation is still uncomfortably high. One month of data does not make a trend, and there are still some challenges ahead. And in particular, the labor market in the U.S. is still very tight. Wage growth has been sustained. And at the same time, the productivity performance has been quite poor in the first half of the year. So going forward, in the short term, there are still some price piping pressures for core inflation. Uh, and also, on Friday last week, we had some data on long-term term inflation expectations, showing that they reaccelerated somewhat in, in August after a dip in July. And so there are still some risks of second-run effects and inflation becoming ingrained uh, via um, expectations, inflation expectations. So um, overall, the July data on inflation were certainly good news. Uh, but the Fed needs more clear and convincing evidence that inflation mm-hmm. is cooling in the next several months. Well, that's it. Markets seem to fluctuate last week, right? As investors really mull whether that data would change the Fed's monetary policy, how do you think the Fed will move interest rates at its September meeting based on the information that we have right now? Yeah, so following the uh, July CPI and PPI data, mm. uh, my base case is for a 50 basis point rate mm. hike at the Fed September meeting. Uh, however, uh, you know, the Fed is pretty much in inflation fight, fighting mode and it is data dependent and there are several uh, more releases on inflation, inflation expectations and the labor market in the next few weeks. Uh, and so depending on the data, uh, you know, a 75 basis point is still on the table. Um, and, and that's also the message that we got from uh, some Fed speakers recently, including mm. um, the president of the San Francisco uh, Federal Reserve, uh, Mary Daly. So 50 basis point is the base case, but a 75 basis point rate hike is still on the table, depending on the data. Mm, the FOMC releasing its minutes soon. What kind of clues are you waiting out for? What kind of information are you hoping to get out of that? Uh, so um, the minutes uh, will be actually scrutinized for any signal um, regarding um, a 50 versus a 75 basis point mm. rate hike in September. Um, of course, um, it will depend on the tone describing the inflation picture and the labor market picture. Uh, so uh, that's where I will focus uh, my um, analysis, I would say. 
Uh, that said, uh, there is also there's, there's always a bit of a risk of overinterpreting the signal from the minutes. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's like backward-looking information, and what really matters for the data-dependent Fed is really the data releases in the next few weeks regarding inflation, inflation expectations, and the labor market. Mm. So, in the meantime, do you think markets have stabilized from that initial fluctuation we saw last week? Um, well, um, as a matter of fact, markets were, again, disrupted a bit by some weak Chinese data uh, mm. this morning. And they're now digesting these new developments uh, mm. that suggest that the Chinese recovery story for the second half of the year might not be as strong as initially expected um, following some announcements regarding some stimulus in China. Um, mm. That said, um, I think that going forward, markets will continue to focus on developments in inflation, uh, the central bank's reaction function, uh, and also indication of um, a recession later this year. Um, And so I think that we'll continue to see some volatility in markets um, with just like concerns regarding inflation becoming entrenched. Uh, a recession in the U.S., but also in other areas, and particularly in Europe, and again, the central bank's reaction function. Mm, before we get into U.S. and also the China story, I just want to quickly check in with you. What is your assessment of the U.S. economy right now? Do you think with that 50 basis point expected in September, the Fed can achieve what it calls soft landing? Well, the problem with soft landing is that, well, they are possible, mm. but they are quite rare. Uh, and in this particular instance, uh, a soft landing might be particularly hard to achieve because the Fed started to tackle inflation problem from behind the curve. So the Fed provided too much stimulus for longer and uh, the needed and started to remove it quite late. Um, so in these circumstances, it would be quite hard for the Fed to calibrate the right amount of tightening that allows inflation to go back to target without hurting the labor market too much. Um, and so, and also, if we look at the historical evidence, uh, I mean, since the early 70s, uh, Fed hiking cycles ended with a recession 80% of the times. Um, and so, well, uh, soft landing is still possible, but I think it's unlikely. Hmm. If you're just tuning in, we are now speaking to Sylvia Delangelo, Senior Economist at Federated Hermes Limited. Uh, Sylvia, apart from high interest rates, uh, high prices, geopolitical tensions certainly weighing on U.S. markets right now. We have seen U.S. and China struggle to come to an agreement to allow American regulators to inspect the audits of Chinese businesses. Some of them already, on, uh, some state-owned companies have already announced plans to delist from U.S. exchanges. Where do you see all of this going? Uh, so U.S.-China geopolitical tensions have been in place mm. for several years now. And from a U.S. standpoint, the relationship has really evolved from cooperation to containment, as China mm. is now seen as a, as a strategic competitor. And this ongoing audit path uh, needs to be seen in this context, really. So that it has been a bit of a slow burner as uh, U.S. authorities have tried to get access to ch- Chinese audit papers for about two decades now. And the gridlock is now coming to a head uh, as the U.S. Congress um, decided on a 2024 deadline to kick off Chinese businesses that don't comply. Mm. Uh, It is really hard to say where it is all going. Um, It is worth highlighting that U.S. and Chinese authorities have been negotiated 
um, have been negotiating to reach a deal in this matter. Uh, and I think that we'll try to find a solution that uh, limits economic damage for both sides. Mm. Uh, I think that the recent move by Chinese companies who delisted, who announced the listing last week, um, points to a possible mixed solution. So some Chinese state-owned companies that are deemed to be strategic by Beijing will likely announce more voluntary delisting going forward, while other Chinese companies will try to remain listed in the U.S. by looking into ways to cooperate with the U.S. regulator, or alternatively, they will move the primary listing to Hong Kong, mm. uh, and some Chinese businesses have already moved in that direction. So again, it is hard to say uh, where we are heading. I'm looking for a bit of a mixed solution that, again, uh, limits damages for uh, both sides. Mm. As you mentioned as well, some Chinese firms, they have done a primary listing in Hong Kong, and that means pouring more money into Hong Kong and to China. And investors increasingly, they are also upping their holdings in Hong Kong shares instead of the same U.S. counterpart. So do you think that that points to potential huge capital outflow for U.S.? I don't think that's necessarily the case. Mm. Really, we are... um we are talking, I mean, what I expect is like, as I said, a mixed solution. So uh, the Chinese companies, uh, some Chinese companies will try to remain listed again in the U.S. Uh, by looking to ways to cooperate with the, with the U.S. regulator. Um, of course, as I said, some other companies will probably move uh, to Hong Kong. So, yes, we might see some, uh, some flows Uh, going from the U.S. to Hong Kong, but I would expect that to be limited, really. Hmm. Let's also turn our attention to Europe. So inflation there projected to peak above 13%. So inflation in the U.K. is projected to peak above 13%, but the economy has already shown a contraction in Q2. So to what extent can the U.K. economy withstand more rate hikes from the BOE? Well, that's that's a great question. (laughs) The Bank of England is obviously facing a very difficult trade-off right now between uh, high inflation and a slowing economy, and that also implies a policy dilemma. So, as I said, well, as you said, the economy is clearly slowing, uh, reflecting the intensifying cost of living crisis uh, on top of fiscal and monetary tightening. Uh, However, at the same time, as you said, inflation is running at record record highs and set to reach a peak of about 13% uh, in Q4 of this year. And there's a risk that inflation, high inflation becomes entrenched against the backdrop of a tight labor market. So in the short term, the Bank of England will remain in a firmly tightening mode, uh, basically pushing back against the second round effects and the risk of a price wage spiral. However, I also think that the trade-off will evolve later this year uh, when a likely deterioration of the European energy crisis mm. will likely turn the current slowdown into recession. And at that stage, I expect the Bank of England to reconsider uh, its starting path. Um, I also think that the neutral rate for the UK uh, economy is probably still low in a historical perspective. And so the Bank of England doesn't need to go uh, too far in terms of policy timing. Mm. Uh, and also, uh, let's remember that the Bank of England is also acting on its balance sheet to remove uh, monetary policy stimulus. And that's also a source of uh, tightening financial conditions. Financial markets now expect a terminal rate uh, for the UK at 3.2% to mm. 3.3% in the first half of next year from the current policy rate of 1.75%. 
I think that it will stop a bit earlier. Hmm. And of course, we also have the European energy crisis. Power prices rose to fresh records last Thursday. Where and when do you expect energy prices to peak? Well, the problem with uh, gas prices in Europe is that, well, Europe is heavily dependent on Russia, hmm. importing about 40% of its gas from Russia, and with Russia accounting for about 20% of the European energy mix overall. So Europe has worked very hard uh, since uh, the, the start of the war in Ukraine to win itself off Russian gas and oil. But obviously, in the short term, the gas dependency is here to stay, and that's going to be a problem for the winter. With Russia now using gas as basically a weapon to respond to uh, war-related sanctions. Uh, so over the last couple of weeks, since the maintenance of the Nord Stream 1 pipeline ended, and that's the main connection uh, between Russia and Europe in terms of uh, mm. gas flows. Mm. Uh, daily gas flows uh, going through that pipeline has been around 20% of capacity, uh, compared to 40% of capacity between, before the maintenance period. Uh, and so, uh, obviously, Russia is uh, really now uh, turning the screws on, on Europe uh, somewhat in terms of gas provision. Mm. And there is a risk that, well, a threat, I'd say, mm. that Russia uh, stops uh, daily gas flows completely as uh, Europe heads into uh, the winter mm. season when energy needs are higher. So I think that uh, gas prices could actually increase further um, from their current levels. Uh, and also there is a risk that the current uh, price uh, shock turns into a quantity shock if, uh, let's say, in the worst-case scenario, Europe doesn't have enough gas mm. to meet its energy needs uh, mm, in, in the winter. Mm. Certainly like to take this uh, conversation further, but unfortunately we're running out of time. Thank you so much, Sylvia. That was Sylvia Dalangelo, Senior Economist, Federated Hermes Limited. Before acting on the information on Money FM, to listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.